Welcome, my name is Tom. This is The Enthusiasm Project, Season 7, Episode 10. It's the end of Season 7. This is the finale episode. It's finally the finale. So, uh, fun stuff today. All kinds of fun stuff happening today, which I sort of teased a little bit last week. If you're listening to the audio-only version, there is a video version, which may or may not be a little more relevant today than normally, because I have a very special guest and you might want to see that person. And I also have some props. You might want to see those too. If not, the audio version will also be just fine. So don't feel bad. But if you want to check out that video version, of course, uh, there's links in the description to Patreon and YouTube channel memberships and all that. That is my shameless self plug for the day. And so here's what we're doing. It's the end of the season. I started season seven with a very special guest in episode Peter Lindgren where we're out in the yard. And I figured it'd be really fun to wrap up season seven with another special guest. And potentially, we'll just see, we'll kind of see where this goes because I'm really excited to talk talk with the person I have today. Um, and actually, I guess we should jump into that. I was going to talk about my setup and everything, but it'd probably be more fun to do that with this person. So this is somebody else, much like Peter, much like my very own wife. <laughs> when you yes, when you meet when you meet Michael, you'll be like, yeah, he's very much just like your wife. Uh, <laughs> it's somebody I met through my YouTube channel, somebody that I wouldn't have connected with without YouTube. Michael found my channel a couple years ago, and then we connected and were able to like become friends via the internet because of that. And despite you know different backgrounds, living in different locations, being at different ages. There's so much in common and it's just, I don't know, we just really hit it off in a fun way and I thought it'd be a really fun way to wrap up the podcast together. So my very special guest today, warm round of applause for the one and only Michael Sladek. Good morning. It, good morning. Welcome to me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, in, I know it's a round of applause honor. and it was you clapping quietly, but uh, you know, yeah. Uh, there's a comedian named Dimitri Martin. He says, I don't know why people say LOL. It's really LQTM. Laugh quietly to myself. I think of that every time I do that or snort air out of my nose slightly loudly. Michael, I want to know a couple things as we get started before we jump into this. I want to know who you are, the, the basics, you know, the, the, the short bio as much as we can. And definitely also want to know what you're using today, because we, we you know, put this together, I don't want to say at the last minute, because that wasn't the case, but we put this together a little bit on the fly to make it work as best as we could. And it's always fun to talk about gear and stuff. So let us know a little bit about who you are. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, my name is Michael Sladek. I am a photography instructor at Highline College in uh, the Seattle area of beautiful green and somewhat hot right now, Washington State. Uh, I've been doing that for coming up on 12 years uh, before that in my previous life. <laughs> I'm on career 3.0, as I like to call it. Uh, I used to uh, do freelance photography and uh, graphic design. Before that, I did some uh, church youth work for a few years. And before that, I was in college. So that's my short version of, of how I got here. Um, Microphone-wise, uh, the highly aesthetic... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> arrangement of my lav mic that because my audio interface wasn't working with today, so I had to plug it right into the computer. This is one of the this is the lav from Rode. It's the one that's made for mobile. It's very old, but it still sounds pretty decent, I think. Running into my AirPods in my ear and uh, right into my MacBook Pro 14-inch Max one I have. Our video is via uh, Fujifilm X-T3 with a 16 to 55 f 2.8 lens. I think I'm running at about 23 millimeters on that. Um, what else? Bunch of lights. <laughs> All the lights in the back. Those Michael are is Michael is one of the 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 only people I know who's like a Fuji shooter. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean it's, you know, there's the bigger brands and then Fuji's more of, it's not as big, but everybody I know who shoots Fuji really, really loves their Fuji cameras. And the stuff I've seen you do with them is, is really cool. So um, it's exciting always when someone uses something I'm not as familiar with as normal. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the Especially the X-T3 when it came out, it banged for the buck which is which is about four years ago now was pretty hard to beat for the combo of video and photo quality uh because the s3 hadn't come out and all the sony stuff um but it's still a good deal uh and i'm a fan i'm a fan uh i'm wearing my uh tom buck blue shirt from a company called fresh clean threads if you're interested not a sponsor um (laughs) but they're great t-shirts for especially guys who are having male pattern fatness and they uh, it, uh, uh, it's snug in the arms and it's generous lower. So yeah, I'm a gotcha, fan. Gotcha. <laughs> Speaking of blue though, I did want to point out the thing I'm using. I wanted to use something special. I did this right before I was going to use the trusty SM7B. And then I realized that since today is the season finale, I should do something a little more special. And that was the Sheps the one B&H Photos loaning me. I talked about this a couple episodes ago. Shep, C-M-I-T-U-5. Yes, something like that. Um, it's a really great microphone. It is a $2,400 microphone that I do not get to keep. I need to send this back. And it is really intended to be an overhead boom, and I'm using it as like a spoken word podcast microphone. But I think that it sounds pretty darn awesome. And I realized, it, like... Uh, B&H sent it to me to try out this specific one because it is blue. It comes in blue, black, and green. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. You never see cool style in boom microphones. And then I realized, no, it's blue for blue screens. And the green one is green for green screens. They're not being like bombastic with their styling. It's a practical choice. But it really works out for me here. So that's just running into the generic condenser setting on the Rodecaster Pro 2. And that is what I am talking to you with today. So we couldn't probably get too much more different on the audio. <laughs> That's what I'm I think it's right pretty funny. The computer, you're using the Rodecaster Pro too. Uh, that's awesome. It's, it's I, that's one of the things I think. Uh, we can talk about a little bit today is the differences in in gear and 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 approaches and how you can still get high quality results. Yeah, I think that's true because one thing you didn't mention in your intro, and I don't know if I should push this button and everyone should be able to see it, and you don't know that I have this here. Boom is, oh, (laughs) I need to reframe you a little bit in the scene. And I made you very tiny in the scene. Okay. But this is your YouTube channel, which just crossed the 5,000 subscriber threshold as I'm trying to (laughs) resize you a little bit uh, awkwardly here on screen. But tell us about this, because speaking of gear, speaking of doing things with gear, um, this is pretty this is pretty awesome. And your videos are really, really great. So if you want to know about more, not just photography, but 
the Fuji workflow of photography, this is a great place to go. Thanks. Um, so the YouTube channel has been, uh, was a necessity uh, when I started, when we went into the COVID lockdown, uh, we obviously transitioned to online classes. So I started recording content for classes along the way. I also was doing just dabbling and messing around a little bit with uh, some videos for myself for fun. And uh, as we got through the recording, the first sessions of videos for classes, I wanted to keep going with YouTube. And it's taken me, I think, until about, so I've been at it about three years intentionally. And then uh, in the past six months or so this year, I really felt like I found a groove with the kind of videos I'm making. I'm doing uh, street photography, kind of photo walk things, point of view with the GoPro, and then show the photo. I do an intro from the car, what I'm doing, what I'm thinking about that day, and then an outro with uh, some thoughts about the video. So it's it's entertainment, educational. Uh, I, try, I, I do kind of lean into the Fuji niche a little bit, uh, but not too hard because uh, there's not that many of us. But uh, uh, there are a couple very successful uh, YouTube channels from uh, Fuji folks. Uh, and I maybe one day I'll get there. But uh, as far as numbers wise, I feel successful now, which is fun. Um, uh, I, the YouTube journey, I, to be honest, when I started it, I was, I was, I was in watching the couples table yesterday. Uh, you mentioned some of us start YouTube thinking like we might win the lottery, like you're playing the Powerball and Ooh, I might just win, even though I'm thinking I'm doing it for me. Um, that's kind of where I started. And then that didn't happen right away or ever. And so now it's, it's really just part of my photography workflow and it helps me be accountable to creating photos. Uh, it gives me a reason to that if I'm just like, oh, I should go take photos today and there's not, not a quote unquote reason externally, uh, it's a little harder for me. So knowing that about myself, being aware of that, um, having YouTube as the kick in the butt to go out and create has been great. Yeah. And that's, I think that's an interesting thing that we were kind of talking, talking about, talking about uh, today was sort of our journey and like how we got to where we are because you mentioned that YouTube or not YouTube that that what you're doing right now is career like 3.0 or 3.5 and for me YouTube is definitely not not the the thing I originally started intending to do and now it is my job my full-time job and even just five years ago I was not like embracing the term of being a YouTube creator and figuring that out and what that means to me. And it can mean something different for everybody. And I think that that's, I think it's really interesting when it was one of the reasons that I really did like Casey Neistat when I found him, because my only prior experience or prior knowledge with like vlogging and vloggers was more of what my students were watching at the time, my high school students, which was a lot of like really loud, really obnoxious, you know, pranks. And I was like, this is not for me at all whatsoever. And then I saw Casey and he is, he's very like, you know, I don't want to say loud. He's not loud, but his videos have a lot of personality and there's a lot out there. But he started his daily vlog in 2015. He had just turned 34, uh, which now I am years older than now. But at the time, I, in 2015, I was just turning 30. And so to see somebody who was like, oh, he's a few years older than me. Uh, he has a kid. He has a career. Somebody bringing that kind of other perspective to what they're creating online, I thought was really, really fun and really kind of, um, I don't know, exciting. And so it's it's fun to me to know why people want to start it, whether it becomes a full-time thing or a side thing. Your channel is growing really well. 
uh, you have a ton of videos so often when you see people's channels you go to them and it's like oh you have four videos that's great <laughs> that you have a, a full channel of a lot of videos so I think that's really, really cool. And I'd like to definitely know more. I know you gave us the SparkNotes version, um, but I'd like to know more, not only just how you got into photography, but then got to the point where you, you know, were teaching photography and then wanting to share it on your own, as you say, a journey to more interesting photos. I'd love to know just more about all of that. Photography journey started, uh, I think, with most photographers of my generation with a Pentax K1000 as a gift. Uh, the Volkswagen Beetle of cameras. You know, they made so many of those for so many years. Uh, I have a used one back here somewhere. It's not my original, but I have one on the shelf. I haven't used it. But anyway, um, so through high school and college, I was the guy with the camera in hand. I was taking pictures of people putting food in their mouth and doing silly things. Uh, that was me. Uh, then I kind of stopped for a bit, uh, cause you know, I just was impatient. You know, you had a, it took an hour to get your film from that little yellow hut back in the day. <laughs> uh, then when my son was born, uh, did some more photos with film cause he's almost as old as you, not quite as old, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, and then, uh, stop that. Cause again, the, no instant gratification. Then when he did little league, got a digital camera, started playing around with that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this changes everything. Um, and having that instant gratification, uh, even though the cameras were incredibly slow, um, was just amazing. Changed the game. Fast forward about uh, 18 years to when he's in high school, and he's doing his senior project on photography, and I'm helping him, and I'm watching him take photos. And he's laying down on the ground. He's looking up and finding all these interesting perspectives on things, and I'm like, oh, I've never thought of doing that. And I realized um, I, I, I was just approaching it from a, a kind of a snapshot perspective. And he was looking at it more as mm -hmm. an observer perspective. And this is what I see, how I feel and connect to what I'm trying to create a photo of. So that changed everything for me. Uh, just noticing what he was noticing and starting thinking differently. And then literally two years later, I got a phone call from a former coworker who was teaching at the college where I'm at now. Uh, and she said, Hey, I think you know how to use a camera. <laughs> and I said, yes, I do. And she said, I think you'd be a good teacher. I have no formal training in it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we have a, we have a need for a photography teacher. And are you interested? And I said, yes. And then I went and met with them the next day. And then they asked me if I could start the day after. I mean, literally, I started the day after the interview because it was mid, it was like the second week of a quarter. It doesn't sound a, surprising to me, honestly. Let a teacher go. <laughs> Yeah, community college life. It's just like the TV show. Um, and uh, let's see what. Then, uh, so I started, uh, it was just supposed to be a temp gig, uh, one quarter for a winter quarter fill-in for 10 weeks. And um, then in the fall, I got a call back after the spring and summer quarter. And they said, hey, uh, we're going to need an ongoing adjunct faculty are you interested I said yes and eventually I'm teaching three classes a quarter and they say if you want to learn something you should teach it and that's how I've learned photography is by having to teach it uh, I've learned so much about the technical side that I didn't know which opens up all the creative possibilities uh, it's it can be boring if you're not my, wired that way, but uh, I'm kind of in the middle wired of, I need both the technical and the creative and they feed both parts of me, photography does. So uh, that's been awesome to yeah. discover how I can do the left brain, right brain combo with the 
the, ooh, this is what Aperture does, and this is how depth of field works, and ooh, look at that, and how can I arrange it with composition? So that's a semi-long story version of how I'm here, and it's been great. It's been unexpected. Yeah. Hearing you talk about that, it like it illuminated something that never really clicked for me, because I think, I think my brain works that same way. Like I really related to what you said about finding that right brain, left brain outlet where for so long I just like, oh, I'm bad at anything that's like math or sciencey or engineering or whatever. And it's like, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think I'm inherently bad or incapable at it. I think I just need a, a different way to understand this stuff. And then it, it can click and make sense. And that's, you know, like you said, the best way to learn something is to teach it, of course. Um, and that's, I, I, it's, it's fun how you, you really couldn't plan that journey like when it's whatever second grade and the teachers always ask like what do you want to be when you grow up you can't go like well I want to go on this meandering journey through photography and community college and then potentially this thing's going to be called YouTube in a few decades and I'm going to join that like you you can never draw it out but you just kind of it seems like if you find something you're interested in and you just sort of pursue it consistently whether that's full-time part-time as a hobby or whatever it eventually can take you to really cool places finding creative outlets whatever they are are for all of us and I, I, we had a little glimpse of that during the lockdown time uh, where people were all of a sudden you know jumping on youtube creating cooking channels creating all these different ways that they had now time to express their creative outlets and my my hope is we keep doing that um, that all of us, you know, because we're wired that way. Uh, but most of our jobs and our education system doesn't encourage that. Uh, <laughs> find the right answer, not the why answer. Right. Um, yeah, or make so, money with it. If it doesn't make money, it's worthless. Yeah. Uh, and, and like, I think I said to you when I first got my ca my new camera, mm -hmm. my new X-H2S, the most expensive camera I've ever bought, uh, Part of that was because of something you said, which is, uh, you know, we don't need our hobbies or our passions to be have a return on investment. Um, and so that was a uh, thinking it that way. If you if you invest money in the thing that uh, helps you be creative, helps your emotional health, helps your physical health too, um, it's it's a gift and it's it's priceless, as they say in the ads. So it, it really is. And I was just talking to Heather about this yesterday because we um, I made a video yesterday on my second YouTube channel that included talking a little bit about flight training because I've started the classes to get mm -hmm. my private pilot's license. And when I was talking to Heather about I was like, I'm feeling a little nervous about this because it is expensive. Um, every 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 time now that I think about like buying a piece of gear, I'm like, that could be like three lessons that could be you know like everything is how can i get through the next month of flight training and uh, and i was like well if, if i get halfway through this thing and i've sunk like nine thousand dollars into it and then something happens where i don't know maybe i'm not capable maybe i decide it's not for me maybe a medical thing happens that prevents me from doing it. there's all kinds of things that could derail it it's scary and then heather was like no it doesn't it's she's like the experience right now is already worth it and i was like you know what yeah it doesn't need to I would love for it to result in me getting my license because that's why I'm doing it. But honestly, just like right now, having learned some stuff, having done things I didn't think I could do before, having just explored some curiosity, met some really neat people, it, even if like literally it was for some reason next week, they're like, sorry, you're barred from going any further and you cannot get your license. I'd be like, that was actually a really worthwhile experience, even though it costs money and then, you know, like I feel like I grew and benefited even just from that. And I think that's really important to keep in mind, you know, like 
don't don't be financially responsible, of course. But yeah, if you want to buy the nicest camera in your thing because you want to go out and take photos and have fun with it, that's okay. If you want to buy a, where's my my two thousand dollar bass over here to play Blink One Eighty Two songs on, you can do that too. It's fine as long as you know you've you've been responsible with how you make that kind of thing happen, and you don't have to justify it to anyone. And anything that encourages people to explore their curiosities and their creativity is always always something that I'm in favor of, as you know. Yeah. Um. And yeah, attitude is so important. How you and getting, we have this, especially in America, this guilt, I think, about rest and play. We have this such a hustle culture and celebrate it so much that uh, it's, we feel guilty if we're, if we're not doing something productive and traditionally productive, like making money. That's what that all means. Where that, that's not everything. I've, I've been, uh, the untold part of this, well, my story that I unpacked for you was uh, both my wife and I, Debbie and I, have made choices along the way financially to take a less paying job or, or to have a job that allowed a, a schedule where one of us could always be at home with, with David as he was growing up, that that had a value in and of itself that, you know, you can't put a money value to, but it was a decision we made based on our, our other values. So yeah, being aware of your values, naming it, uh, not just reacting, um, yeah, this is going all over the place. It's turning into a TED talk, but that's all right. Uh, so, <laughs> it's it's uh, a Tom talk, a Michael talk. I don't know. I started doing that in class uh, this quarter. I said, thanks for coming to my TED talk when I go off <laughs> on these philosophical tangents. So, um, You know what? It, but, you just uh, have to get that specific cadence of how you talk to make it a TED talk or it's like, you know. Five years ago, I walked into this room and what I saw, like, you're like, why are you talking like that? People don't talk like that. There, there is a formula. There is a formula, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's funny. So, I mean, those things are important. And speaking of Heather, we were just talking yesterday because she is, she was working on a video for a new YouTube channel. It's all about a video game. It's all about Final Fantasy fourteen, which she's playing. And we just visited with a whole bunch of her friends lately. And they're all, pretty much all of them, I think all except for one or two of them have at least one kid, if not multiple kids, different ages, like... Uh, we're at the point now in our lives where I've got friends, uh, friends who did not have kids young, like, you know, it wasn't like they had kids in high school or something. And now their kids are starting high school this year, which is a, it's, it's weird for me to be in. If I were still teaching, the students I have would, would have been born while I was in college, uh, which is weird. <laughs> and, and I don't know if I could actually handle that. So I'm, I'm happy to like not have to deal with that right now. Um, but Heather was looking at her stuff and going like, you know, she was feeling guilty, I think, a little bit because, you know, her friends are like, well, we got to take the kids here, do this, do that, that. And she's like, I'm trying to, like, optimize my gaming setup right now. <laughs> and I'm 37 years old. <laughs> and it's like, we, we were both like, well, you're not doing anything wrong. You're enjoying yourself. You're having fun. Just because you feel like you should be doing this other thing, you have decided that that's not, that's not what you want to do for yourself. And it's not a judgment on anyone else. It's it's literally just what do you want to do? What's important to you? What do you enjoy? You know, what makes your days just more, just nicer? And this is that. And if it's not hurting anyone else, you should 100% feel comfortable embracing it, even if it feels a little non-traditional and a little bit different. And, you know, I, I think that's an important thing to come to grips with because it, it really is. A, it's just not something you're brought up learning. You're brought up like, 
you need to go to go to work work is is king your boss is king and then if you can fit whatever you want to do in whatever free time you may or may not have then that's what you do over there but this is what really matters over here and you know it's nice to kind of step back and reanalyze that a little bit yeah and get away from the myths you know there this you know I, I think my generation was the last generation i mean maybe you too where the, the the high school to college path was this expected thing and then you go to the career but you know when my son's generation uh and he was born in 92 so um college prices has changed i mean it's it's not a you can work part time and get it and then pay for your college i mean i could uh but he can't and his generation can't so you take out loans you do this you do that or as he's decided, he's decided not to go to college. So he's figuring out, you know, next steps and all that. And so there's there's consequences and there's awarenesses of what you want and being aware of how it fits best for your life, your decisions. So he doesn't have college debt, but he's got other stuff. So, you know, just like we all do, you know, you don't have kids, but you have other things and you have kids and you don't have other things. <laughs> yeah. And and it's all like, I, I think it's just the, I guess it sounds maybe a little like hippy dippy of me, but just the live and let live. Like if you're doing your thing over here and it's not hurting anyone, you're just doing the best you can go for it. I was reading a thing online the other day. It was a discussion about, it was like minimalism in hobbies. And the person who started the thread was somebody who was saying like, you know, I have a lot of hobbies, but what I notice is a lot of the people in my hobbies are more focused on getting things and acquiring stuff rather than doing the thing. And I think the example they used was pens, like fancy brush tip pens and things. And they were like, you know, I like to learn how to do lettering, but it seems like everyone else in the community just has collections of 20 or 200 pens or whatever. Uh, and I was like, oh, I'd, I for sure see parallels to that in the camera world. But the top reply to that person was, Somebody who said, you know, the older I get, the more I realize that most people are just trying to make it through the best they can and enjoy themselves. And the world is hard. And if buying a bunch of pens is going to make someone happy, I'm not going to judge them for that. And I was like, I think that's probably the oh. best way to look at this. And, and that's a, oh, that's helpful. That's so helpful to, to get away from the judgment. That's not how I would do it. Exactly. I'm not them. They're not me. Um. Yeah, uh, sometimes Debbie and I call ourselves the big judgersons because we'll we'll you know, do the oh my gosh I can't believe they're doing that thing and then we realize oh wait what are they thinking of us so, you know you do that uh, I I really like that and it's it's a it, you know to connect it to all the other bits is for a country in America who is so big on being individuals and doing your own thing we're very quick to say but you're not doing the right thing or the thing i'm doing so there's a there's a judgment associated with it so which is fascinating uh we want to be individuals but all the same I yeah think. you can be an individual but it must uh, be like one of these flavors of individual right here <laughs> these approved individuals choose your choose your column yes. yeah it's like the, <laughs> like going to mcdonald's like a number one number two number three which one do you want um yeah so that's that's funny it's going back i you talked about like your camera journey and it's funny because i have a few props here that uh it it's different than yours but it's also not different at all and this is where i think our journeys are cool because even though like we're a bit different in age there's so many parallels i feel like it i feel like if we had just switched like birth years 
we would like we would have just taken over each other's paths um so right here because you said you said you have your fuji back there that was your first or no it was your first camera back there on the shelf right i, I yeah I can't, i'm wired so i can't go get oh, yeah. it no but... no don't don't go get it but it's you said it wasn't your your actual first one but it was it was the first one this is my actual not my actual first video camera but it's my first video camera because i did the same thing i rebought the first one um and it was, I've talked about this on here before, but it was being four years old. Um, my parents, my grandpa had this video camera. It's an old Sony Handycam, uh, one of the 80s models. And he would let my parents borrow it sometimes. And then they would film stuff and let me watch things on it. And that's when I started really loving it. And then when I got a little bit older, like elementary school, middle school, I could start using the camera on my own and making terrible movies. And then eventually, you know, this thing was so old and outdated that they were just like, yeah, you can have that. That's your camera. And I was like, oh my God. Um, I took I took mine apart and tried to paint it and every, I re- <laughs> like really messed it up. <laughs> but it, it served me very, very well. But then, just like you were saying, in high school, I got this camera here, which is a, a more updated Sony Handycam with a little wide angle lens for, you know, that was very popular back in the year 2000. And... This was the thing, I would have this in my backpack going to school. I took it everywhere. I don't know what I was going to do with the footage I filmed with it. Um, but I just like was filming everything. Like you were saying, I'm filming my friend just doing this. It's like, yeah, go jump in that bush. Cool. Okay. Uh, I filmed that now. Now we're going to like <laughs> film a movie. Here's a cool shot. Like whatever it would be, you know, like this thing just went with me everywhere. And then after that, um, I went into college and this is, I, this is my like last handy cam I bought. It's a little mini DV one. I moved into the digital age. Um, this was like 2004, 2005. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to get a nice digital camera and I'm going to be able to like make cool looking stuff. And then I, I really, I've like never used this camera, <laughs> which buying a camera in college was very expensive and very difficult to do. And I remember being around my apartment, like, okay, I'm going to put the camera in the fridge and then open the fridge door and take something out. And that's going to look cool. And I'm going to you know, I'll take it with me somewhere. And it was like, I don't know. And then I just stopped. I just, that I kind of stopped making stuff until um, getting into like DSLRs and stuff around like 2010. Oh, and then I also do have my first digital photo camera, which is a little Polaroid. Um, I forget what it's called. Polaroid Fun Flash. Yeah. And this, it's like a not even one megapixel thing. Um but it's crazy because I found, I posted this on my Instagram like a year ago. I found an old video that I made with my Handycam that was like, it was kind of like a tutorial on how to print photos from this. And it literally like shows all the steps. There's the different angles, like go out, take a photo, do this, connect this here, open the app, um, go in and print the thing. And it ends with the photo printing. I don't know why I made, like there was nowhere to post that online. Like, I don't know why I made that or where that came from, but it was like, wow, I can see that urge, like that urge is there and it had no outlet and now it does have an outlet. And I'm so grateful for that because otherwise I'd be doing these things just by myself, like a crazy person, um, which I guess it's not crazy. This is what we just talked about. If I wanted to make my tutorials by myself, it's fine. But it was like, why did you do that? <laughs> like, I guess it was fun to try to make a sequence. I think that was it, like filming something with steps in order. I was like, could I do that? Have it make sense? Cool. And um, no one will ever see it. <laughs> I don't know. But it was fun. It's it's just like a fun... It, it also feeds into your your teaching, your teaching thing. You know, that, that steps and this is how you do this. You know, the tutorial, that's... 
yeah for your true. time that, that's, that's true i mean because teaching is teaching is so fun when you get to show someone like you get to share your excitement about something with someone and then enable them to do something that they didn't know they could do and then like you said when you teach someone something you learn how to do it better like that's how i learned final cut pro was i started teaching digital media and they were using iMovie the students when i walked in because the program was like it was not not there's anything wrong with iMovie but like they should have not been using iMovie at like a career tech program um, and they had Final Cut on the computers. And I was like, okay, we're going to use Final Cut. It was right when it switched to, from Final Cut 7 to Final Cut 10. And a lot of people hated it. Uh, but for me, it worked out great because it kind of simplified the program a lot. And I remember like, I know nothing about this. So I'm going to buy it and try to learn it. But also half the stuff I was, it would literally be like a student in second period would have a question like, how do I do this? And then I would sit there and work with them to figure out how to do it, which I had to then swallow my pride and learn that it was okay to go like, I don't know, let's figure it out. Like, let's go to Google, let's watch a YouTube video, let's figure out like how to do this thing. And then we'd figure it out. And then next, you know, third period, someone would be like, Mr. Buck, how do I do this? And I'm like, oh, this is how you do it. You click this right here. And so that whole like first year at least was just that. Um, and then even after I got comfortable with the program uh, and better at it by teaching it to others, because you're working with students, and I'm sure you see this too, they have ideas and they encounter things that you don't and you wouldn't even think of. And you're like, wait, how do you solve that problem? How would you do something like that? And then you get to figure out, you know, you get to solve the problem too. So you get to keep learning and that makes it really, really fun. Um, and it's, yeah, so the idea of just sharing and communicating, it's such a good two-way street because it it helps other people, but it also like selfishly helps you too, because you keep building your skills up. Yeah. And it's really important in that. And I, I say this for me, because this is my tendency. It's like, I've, I, I know it. I know it now. I've got it. And then you forget that there's the beginner's excitement and enthusiasm and not knowing what they don't know. And so they're asking all the questions that you maybe never asked. I never asked when I was first starting. And so you have to, you've never considered it, never learned it. And you don't know it, even though you I've been doing this for, you know, 12 years, and we had a camera for a lot longer than that. So it's you have to, it's fun to balance the tension of, yes, I, I'm kind of an expert, but there's so much I don't know. And always being hopefully humble about that. And, and yeah, I remember um, some of the jobs I had were like, I had a lot of retail customer service jobs, you know, in college and stuff. And whenever you have a job like that, there's always some kind of question that people are going to ask you daily, like many, many times, whatever it might be. Where is this? What's this? What time do you close? Whatever it is. And you hear the question so many times that it's so easy to almost to feel annoyed at like, oh, my God, it's just around the corner. Like you don't see the sign right there like that tells you where the thing is. And I remember pretty early on feeling annoyed and then realizing I don't know what made me realize it, but I was like, I'm hearing this question for the 50th time today. This person is asking it for the first time today. They don't they don't know my baggage and I don't need to then throw that on top of them. And so the same thing is when you get to know something and you become familiar with it and certain things are second nature, like the beginning of every school year for me was always very humbling where we had to spend an entire class period like enabling right clicking on the mouse. We're not jumping into Final Cut. We're not <laughs> yeah. going into Photoshop. Like, we're not doing visual effects. We're just talking about enabling, right-clicking, and it's going to take 45 minutes to get everyone to do that. Um, and it's like, that's right, because they don't know. They don't. They get this weird-looking mouse that has one button on it, and, like, even on a two-button mouse, a lot of students 
aren't used to utilizing a right-click menu, much less one that doesn't look like it has two buttons. Wait, it does? It's magic? Crazy? Go into menus, save things. I forgot my ID. I can't log in. Like, right. Okay. And it feels like we are never going to get to the point where I can hand these people like a piece of equipment and have them go make something decent. But you get there. You just like, you have to remember that I I think um, I can tie this in really well, actually. So Heather, Final Fantasy 14, she's playing this game. She's new to it. The game has been out for 10 years, uh, but she just found it two or three months ago. And there's a huge online community all about the game. But her favorite thing is that that online community is really welcoming and friendly. It's not gatekeepy at all because at some point, just the culture of that community developed where they realized that we love this and we want it to keep going. And the only way it will keep going is if new people keep coming in and loving it the way that we do. So our job is to to welcome them in and help them love it the way we do, not gatekeep them or block them out or whatever. And I, it's like there are so many things, <laughs> hobbies, fields, career, whatever, where I think that's important to to remember. I see this a lot in any time I talk about a topic, you know, if it's audio or video or whatever it might be on YouTube, people will come in and be like, I am, you know, I have 30 years of experience in this field. And let me tell you this. It's like, if you love the field that much, it's you have amazing knowledge that I would love for you to share. But don't, don't turn people away. So the person who's just kind of interested in asking like what seems like a dumb question, can I plug my USB mic into the roadcaster or something? Um, it's not a dumb question. Like, if you know all the ins and outs, like, oh, why would you ask that? That's so stupid. But like, no, they have a microphone, they have a mixer, and they're like, could I use this mic with this mixer? And the thing that's going to help them be excited about these things is to help them understand why or why not or what they need, not to just throw a bunch of knowledge at them and intimidate them and make them go, oh, I'm going to run away and and get scared. So sometimes... I feel guilty when I make YouTube videos because, um, well, because I was raised Catholic and I feel guilty for everything, but also because, <laughs> because I feel like oh, I'm not really going into the depth I should go into. I'm probably not answering every question I could ask about this topic. But then I remember like, well, it's more about making the person excited about the thing and less about trying to just show them like, here's all of my knowledge and here's this, you know, like I can contextualize something as a deep dive, but more than anything, you know, I want people to be excited about this stuff. And the way to do that is to show them cool little things that are exciting about it and welcome them into the community. And I, that's important no matter what field, I don't know, anyone might be in, I think. I had a comment yesterday on, on one of the videos, uh, one of my XH2S videos. Uh, and the comment was, uh, I don't, and I don't get many, many, you know, negative comments, um, snarky stuff, but this one was, uh, the X-H2S is a terrible camera. If someone gave that to me, I would be offended. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, yeah. So, I, of course, I put I put on my reply hat and I started typing and I went, good news. No one's going to give you one. So you won't be offended. <laughs> yeah, you have no risk of being offended by this. But, yeah, it's like I made a whole video yesterday all about the um, the Sony on-camera microphone that that goes on the thing. And, like... I talked about this microphone, you know, it may or may not be for you. And the there was like the first comment I got on the video, or like the second comment on the video was someone that's like, worst of all, it looks silly. <laughs> it's like, I don't, what? Like, I guess, I don't know. This is not productive or helpful. Like, you don't have to like the way that it looks, but 
it, it comes back to that you can be an individual, but as long as you fit in this, my idea of what I want you to do. Uh, and we and we need to be more accepting. That gets into the community of what you're talking about with the, with Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, you know your approach to teaching. Where let me learn with you. Uh, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to be your guide. And I think that's how you approach your YouTube channel. Uh, here's some stuff I love, and join if you want. Hop in when you can. Join as much as you want. Uh, and I think hopefully that's what all of us are doing as we're, you know, sharing what we do is to create a space where like-minded folks can have a, have a partner in a journey for as long or as little as they want and uh, an opportunity to connect as much as they want. And that's all we can do. Yeah. <laughs> be I open. Mean, you mentioned a little bit about kind of that for your own YouTube channel, which wait, I can stomp the button and we can see it again. There it is. <laughs> um so go go find Michael's channel, check it out, especially if you're into photography or Fuji cameras. Uh, but for um, the thing here that I that I think would be fun to talk about because we talked about your YouTube channel a little bit is oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I started the couples table on accident there. Sorry, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I'm learning my foot pedal, and now it's just me. Okay, you know what? We're gonna fire our technical director here. Um, the thing I was, I guess I was just so excited about this question. I, I just, yeah, but it's actually less of a question, more of just, I think the thing that I have learned is that even though um, when I started my YouTube channel, it was very much a side thing. It was not making, it was costing money. It was not making money. And now it's my full-time job. My enthusiasm and excitement for it hasn't changed, but I can definitely tell that a little bit of perception has, because it's just sort of this thing. If I'm here talking about something, making something and doing this, I have noticed that it is a little bit easier for people to watch that and go like, well, yeah, if I could just sit around and do YouTube videos all day and talk about stuff all day, it'd be a lot easier for me too. And they're not necessarily wrong in that way, but I think it's important to go back to, you know, someone who has a family, someone who has career 3.0, and then is also doing a YouTube channel. I'm curious about how that fits into, like how you prioritize that, I guess, because I know that was always a tough thing for me was to take what little free time I have and go like, well, now YouTube needs to be the priority here because it's something that I care about growing and building. And I'm wondering how you feel about that or how it like, I don't know how many, like if you have a, a weekly amount of time you put into your YouTube channel or anything along those lines, I'd be curious to know. Welcome back to my TED talk. Um, <laughs> it, priority and choices and and is, is a big part of that. Uh, we all have the same amount of time in a week, obviously. And how do you decide what you want to do with that? And we all have to live with our decisions. So the short answer is that has evolved. Uh, when I first started doing YouTube and had some success and it got to a thousand and got monetized last April, that would be April 21. Uh, I, I was doing, I was thinking, okay, let's, let's ride this and see where I can go. So I was doing um, more review type videos because those are ones that get more looks and likes and things. And I was sharing with a couple of photography blogs. Uh, and so I was getting a lot more views, but it was so much work. Each of those was like 10 to 12 hours of work easy. The, I had to write an article. I had to do the video, had to edit it. It was just a lot, a lot of work. So then um, about a year ago, I found this photographer named Roman Fox in the UK, and he does uh, travel and street photography. And his approach is he does a little talking head at the beginning, 
to his GoPro or whatever camera. And then he shows the scene he's going to, and then he does a little circle and he does a click. And that's what I created a photo of. Uh, and I'm like, oh, I can do that. That would be a lot easier. I just take my GoPro with me and I'll show what I'm going to photograph, then show out one or two or three photos. Uh, and I, I've kind of made it my own. So it's, it's about, it's about two hours for the photos. It's about another two to four hours for the edit and all the admin YouTube stuff you know about, um, the, you know, putting it all together. Uh, so it's not a huge time investment, but it, it's a commitment. And, and it's become, a, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is now the way I, pardon the pun, focus my photography. If, if I wasn't doing this, I wouldn't be out weekly making photos. It's just too easy not to. So this is the external motivator that helps me, given what I know about myself, what I've learned through the years, uh, to help me be creative. And I'm doing more photos, having more fun, and having an audience is is a bonus, but also my uh, mental, at least, accountability to, to go and create. Um, the interesting thing in this journey, since April 21, uh, the numbers have been pretty level as far as uh, monthly views, uh, monthly subscriber growth. Uh, there's been, you know, dips and valleys, but if you average it out, it stays pretty constant, which has been fascinating. I thought, you know, there'd be a little bit of a curve to it, but uh, I'm okay with that. It's, at least it's been consistent and I'm still having fun. So I'm not looking at the numbers as much. At, at the beginning, it was like, ooh, let's see where this goes and it's gonna just explode. And then now reality has set in and I'm still enjoying it and I'm gonna still keep doing it, even though the numbers aren't, on that hockey stick growth path that often we want with our numbers. Uh, and I'm, I'm totally cool with that, uh, which is a surprise to me because I like numbers. So, <laughs> <laughs> Right. And that, that's a, that's a really good, interesting point. Cause I remember, um, I guess it was when my channel really started kind of like gaining momentum at one point when it was growing, it's, it's fastest. And I think it was October of 2020, I got almost 9,000 subscribers in that one month, which is far beyond anything (laughs) that it's normal um it's crazy and i was like this is amazing and at that point the number i remember looking at was my real-time view count like where it says 48 hours you've gotten this many views and i had gotten um 30,000 views in 48 hours and i was like wow okay so that's the channel is growing the revenue is is increasing to a point where i'm now paying more attention to it compared to my real daytime job so in that in that way, that thirty thousand number got stuck in my head, and then you know as happens with YouTube, time goes on, and whatever videos that were being pushed that brought that in went away, and it kind of dipped down to around like nineteen to twenty thousand in forty eight hours. I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's that's pretty normal. And that was how it was about the time I quit my job in March of twenty twenty one. Since March of twenty twenty one, the channel has grown by. 45,000 subscribers. It's almost doubled in size. Um, because I do a video a week and sometimes more, it's gotten, um, and we're about a year and a half in, we're what, 70 more videos on the channel. Um, and the real time thing is 19 to 20,000. <laughs> like, I'm laughing because I'm like, the more that gets added, shouldn't this go up? Like, the channel is double everything, but the number is the same as it was before. And I don't understand. This is where, like, diving your analytics will drive you crazy but the reason i bring it up is because the lesson learned is like yeah there's the part of you that's like hey maybe i'll win the lottery when i buy this lottery ticket maybe i'll get that really cool exponential growth curve but ultimately like oh no just sort of this like um 
if you, I don't check it very often, but every time I've looked at like my social blade thing, which shows your growth for platform and stuff, it's always just sort of the most boring, just, but to me, it's like, that's not really that boring because it's, it's just moderate, very steady, not exciting, but consistent, moderate growth. And that's, that's ultimately kind of one of the best things you could hope for because you're not dealing with this exponential thing that you have to then manage. You're not dealing with, you know, a downward thing, which would be all kinds of anxiety inducing. You're just sort of plugging along, doing your thing. People are along for the ride. People will come and go throughout that time. And you get to keep doing what you're doing on your own terms. And I think that's really like the most exciting part of it personally. But um, yeah, I think reaching a point where you're at, where you're like, this is such a, a rewarding personal endeavor and it's something that other people can join in on too if they want. I think it's a really good sweet spot to be in. They say when you, you know, they, whoever they are, uh, there's lots of them. But they say as you create, you know, you should create for yourself and because it's something you love and without hopefully much regard to, you know, what the audience is going to think or whatever. But, you know, that's a continuum. And uh, so for me, I think I've kind of come back to creating for me and things I enjoy. If I want to do this weekly, spend these, you know, four to eight hours, sometimes 10 hours a week on this, it should be something I enjoy. It should be something that's fulfilling to me and uh, enjoyable. And the benefit is if other people enjoy it too, that's, that's a plus. Um, but it's, it's got to come back to something I enjoy, something I'm making first for me. Uh, and again, there's, there's the neat thing is with 7 billion people in the world and a, over a, billion of them on it on youtube uh i imagine i can connect with one or two people such as my youtube friend tom so <laughs> there we go yeah um i mean i think that's that's the magic of it is being able to just sort of connect and and find all kinds of fun interesting people to just sort of spend your time with i mean we you know i've talked about that a lot you and i have talked about that a lot that's a theme that recurs a lot because i think that that's ultimately you know something that's really just really exciting and I, I feel like constantly reminding yourself of the power and like the magic of these platforms is a really, really important thing to do. Um, whether it's, you know, your full-time thing or a part-time thing. I think that that, that dis, dis, what, distinction, that's the word I'm looking for. I think that distinction is actually a lot less um, concrete or important than I think some people might think. Like, oh, if I'm just doing this part-time, I'm just doing this full-time. There's obviously extreme ends to that spectrum. But I think for a lot of people, it, it sort of fills the same the same purpose in their lives and their creative journey. And it's, it still has the same power and the same potential either way, because it's not it's what we talked about earlier. It's not about your hobby justifying, you know, like, oh, it makes this much money. So it's worth it. It's so much more than that. And a lot of it's intangible. And a lot of it is, you know, I mean, like the video that I the video that I commented on that led to Heather and I meeting, getting married. I think that video she said still has like under 200 views. Like it's not, you know, by all YouTube metrics, it's a failure, but it, you never really know where one little thing could end up leading or not. I did a video. This was actually a cool story that I, the pandemic sort of stopped the potential of being a cooler story. Um, but a few years ago, I did a video about tilt shift lenses. I don't know if you've ever used a tilt shift lens, but they're really, really fun. I've never have, never have. They're, they're super cool. So I'm sure most people, if you're watching and listening to this on your phone or on Instagram, you've probably seen like the tilt shift effect. It's, it's where you play with like the focus and it almost, it makes big things look like miniatures. So if you have, I don't know, if you take a drone shot of a city and then you add a tilt shift effect, it looks like a little miniature city. It's really cool. 
there's ways and that actually that effect originated with actual lenses that are pretty cool. I have a whole video about that. Believe it or not, the lens actually tilts and shifts <laughs> to change the way that focus works. And it gets pretty complicated. I did a better job explaining it in my video. And it's cool because you can create those effects live in camera practically just the way the light is bouncing through the lens. So I uh, borrowed a tilt shift lens and I went around just kind of filming it, filming sort of like some local events with it, having fun and made a video all about it. Uh, that video, even now, it's been uh, three years almost since I made that video, probably has maybe a couple thousand views at most. Um, but that video, one, was weird. It got picked up by Studio Binder, which is like a really cool application and YouTube channel. They did a whole blog post about Tilt Shift where they like reference that video as like the foundation of it, which was very cool. <laughs> um, and then it also, the cooler thing was I got an email one day because the the town I live in is also the town where the Coachella Music Festival takes place um, and the Stagecoach Music Festivals and stuff. And I got a an email to my teaching pro... I forget how it... No, it was an Instagram message. That's what it was. Someone messaged me on Instagram and said, hey, are you like the uh, teacher in you know the Coachella Valley? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was one of the people from Golden Voice, the, the company that puts on Coachella. And they're like, oh, we'd love to talk like, you know, that let's have a meeting or whatever. And so I went over to their offices and we had like this amazing meeting where they were showing me like how a lot of the festivals work, how they do their planning. And ultimately what they wanted was they're like, you know, we're in the same town as the high school that you teach at. Uh, we'd really love to be able to get your students some cool experience during the festivals, doing production and all this stuff. I was like, that was amazing. Of course there ended up like not being a Coachella for two years after this. So uh, that part never happened, but unfortunately, but it was really cool. And I was so excited about this. And I was like, yeah, um, like, how, you know, we were talking and it even got to a point where they were like, yeah, at some point, and this could have actually happened. I don't know. But they were talking about making financial con contributions to my program, which was always one of my dreams for that program, because in education, as you know, budget is king. And so half the stuff you want to do, half the stuff you can't do always comes down to budget. And my goal was to get some kind of outside, it's like the opposite of YouTube. My goal with my school program was to get some sort of like sponsorship, donation, grant, something where it could just be self-sustaining. And it's like, um, there, were, there was a local theater program, one of the other public high schools that just like some wealthy philanthropist when she was about to pass away, gave them a million dollars and had all these stipulations that it's like, it's only for this program. It can only be used for this thing. Whatever like account they have it saved in the interest from the account funds the program for the year. So it's basically funded in perpetuity. And that also means that they can then use some of that funding to make smaller class sizes to like, to make the program so much better. And I always wanted something <laughs> wow. like that because every time I would say like, yeah, I, I love my students, but I can't teach 50 of them at once. Like it's too much. And it would come down to like, you get paid out of the same bucket of money that everyone else gets paid for. If they have 50 kids in their class, you have 50 kids in your class. Um, and so I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Long story, super duper long. The whole reason they sent me the message in the first place was because of that tilt shift lens video, <laughs> um, which by YouTube standards is a failure. I had fun making it. Studio Binder posted a thing on it. And then this whole connection happened. And the reason was because I was filming at local events and our area, like our desert area is very visually distinct. If you spend time here or you live here, you just recognize the mountains. There's colors of mountains and palm trees. Like if you see Palm Springs in a, in a movie or TV show, like immediate and recognize it hundred percent. It's very distinct. And that's what happened. They just saw these mountains. And they're like, wait, this is 
here. Where is this person from? And that's where they like dug into the channel a little bit and sent a message. That's a crazy story. And it would have been amazing if I was like, and then my students worked at Coachella and they made the big donation to our program. But, you know, COVID. Um, but still, <laughs> the fact that those those kinds of things, you never know. And that was doing it very part time. I mean, at that time, the channel was sub 10,000 subscribers. It was not generating a ton of money or anything, but it was still enough to make people interested in what I was doing and wanting to support it and wanting to reach out. And that's like, it's just so exciting. Those things you could have never, ever, ever planned for um, will just end up happening. And I'll, I don't know. I love the whole journey, the creative YouTube journey. Well, it's, uh, they say the best time to start was yesterday and the second best time to start is today. So, uh, you know, it's, yeah, there's, for most of us, I don't think there's a downside to creating something there. It's, there's a, a, an emotional component for yourself. There's a physiological component that happens. There's body changes when I'm creating that I, at least I'm out walking, if nothing else, um, Aside from catching COVID last week, which my son brought home from a concert, uh, I, I've been very healthy these past three years that I've been doing this. You know, I haven't caught colds and flus and stuff. So um, there's a benefit to, uh, there's just, it's, creating is so good. It's, uh, if you can, you have to prioritize it though. It, it, it's easy, just like uh, whenever you're making budget cuts to cut the thing that is not revenue generating if it's easy to cut that out of your life if you're if you're not seeing an immediate tangible benefit to uh the obvious ones the ones we prioritize uh it's so easy to cut it out and i, I see that in students all the time these gifted students who you know they want to uh create and they have gifts for it and but their life circumstances just doesn't let it uh so as as we're older adults and as, as especially if we live in the privilege of of having some spare time and and or dollars uh to to find a way to create something whether it's music or food or or sewing or painting or woodworking or i think of my grandpa he built train sets and obviously there's no return on investment on that um but uh he loved it and you know he had to put on the hat and the overalls and he'd go down in the basement and play with his trays and that was therapeutic for him so we all need those things, whatever that may be. And it's and it's not just consuming. There's there's a ta we need a tangible element. So watching TV is relaxing, Netflix and gaming. Gaming's a little different because there is a tangible, but um finding ways to be interactive with uh our world around us, whatever that may be. Again, the TED talk will end now. So <laughs> um I think I mean I think that's a gr a great lesson, a great thing. My, one of my goals with a lot of podcasts, other than I hope people enjoy listening to them, is that I I love it if somebody would then feel like, yeah, I want to go make a thing right now or I want to go do that or I want to go try that. That's like the number one if that happens, that's like the best victory result in the world. So I feel like everything you just said is a really good point to kind of wrap up this entire season on, not just this episode, but wrap up this season and then people go make stuff during the break <laughs> instead of spending an hour a week. I wanted to add one thing. Yes, I can, because <laughs> you haven't hit the end button. Um, I just finished watching Light and Magic on Disney+, Plus, which is about uh, industrial light and magic, you know, the Star Wars uh, special effects stuff. It's a six part documentary. It's about six hours starts from the beginning of, you know, the crew that they put together to put star Wars special effects together all the way through what they're doing now. And it's fascinating to see these, these stories and it's mostly guys, but of these people who have, um, 
taken their skills and applied them in unexpected or new ways. And they didn't know what they were doing, but they did it. That's kind of the short answer. They just, I don't know how we're going to do this, but give me time and we'll figure it out. You give me the goal and I'm going to figure it out. Favorite story is that. Yeah, kind of go thing. watch it. I, I, I want to go watch that. I'll watch one a week for six weeks and then I can start a new season. <laughs> um, so, uh, that's, so real quick, as we're about to wrap up here, um, I hope I definitely hope this is not our last conversation. And Michael and I had, had talked about, um, you know, kind of doing these sort of check-ins and conversations, potentially a little more focused, not, you know, not the broad introduction thing, uh, pretty regularly. And I think that would be a really fun thing to do in future podcast episodes. But for now, um, if you want to tell, is there anything you want to share with people where they can find you, reach out to you? Um, I don't know, any, any last words, but that sounds wrong to say i'm old but i'm not that old uh and i have covid but i'm getting better um uh let's see you can find me on instagram m sladek photo m s l a d e k photo and that's also my website m youtube is michael sladek there's only three of us on youtube one's a director and one's a german doctor uh i'm not the german doctor or the director so uh that's where you can find me uh love to have you join the community and the fun uh it's been great being here and talking with tom uh any feedback obviously is welcome and appreciated as always uh from my end of course if you have anything you want to add or anything you want to share to our conversation you can always send voice video or text to tom at enthusiasmproject.com and it, i'm going to take a bit of a break between this and season eight um and i don't know how long that'll be honestly <laughs> um i uh i really don't normally in the past i've said like a month so it'll at least be a month but i I don't know. I'm going to take a break because there's other things that I want to work on for a bit. And I want to wait until I just feel like I can't take it no more. Like I need to do a podcast right now. So definitely um, keep tabs with the social medias and things if you want to know when a new episode will pop up. Um, and then season eight will be great. So uh, again, Michael, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I know you're, you're not feeling 100% today. So I appreciate you coming in and being here. And... Yeah, I appreciate everyone. So with that being said, I should, with the push of a button, be able to wrap up the season. I hope everybody has a safe, happy, healthy, fun break in between these seasons. And I'll see you next time. Oh, I pushed the, I pushed the wrong button. That's a way to end it. Mm-hmm.